This is the kickoff weekend for our fall campaign called Be the Church. And, uh, and we, uh, we recognize in this, part of what I'm trying to draw out is that the church, I believe, is the most important movement in the world. And the church is Jesus' gift to the world. It is through the church that Jesus uh, gets the message out about who he is and what he's done for us. See, I believe uh, firm conviction that the church was created on purpose for a purpose. There's a reason that we gather together. There's something that we're supposed to be doing together, right? And, and as we've looked at the last few weeks, I believe the reason we're together, the purpose that Jesus has called us together is to accomplish the mission of God. And that is a rescue mission. It's to ensure that those people that are in our community, in our sphere of influence, that they get the opportunity to discover who Jesus is and they get an opportunity to get connected to him and have that relationship restored and to experience that forgiveness and that belonging that they're supposed to know the belonging that can only be found when they get connected to God. And so this series is gonna be about the church functioning the way it's supposed to. Um, my little, uh, the little saying that I've got through this series is that as the church, here at Mitchell Berean, we need to be healthy we need to be unified. We need to be firing on all cylinders. And when we think about the church as an engine, there's an engine that provides power uh, to allow us as a church to accomplish the mission of God. And there's six cylinders we're gonna be looking at through this series that we can focus in on that all those cylinders need to be firing. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I had a buddy who had a motorcycle and it was through him that I was able to purchase this little Honda 100. It had one cylinder. And this little Honda 100, the good news about it was that I could afford it on my McDonald's income, okay? The bad news was it didn't run. And so though I had, <laughs> I was a proud owner of, of a little motorcycle, I couldn't get anywhere on it. So kind of feed the purpose. But my buddy Paul and I stayed up one night working on this thing. And he probably knew a little bit about a uh, mechanic. And I didn't really know anything. But man, we could tinker and mess with stuff. And somehow, <laughs> by the grace of God, about one or two in the morning, we kicked that motorcycle, kicked that engine, and it fired up. And so uh, the feeling of exhilaration that I had at being uh, the owner of not just a motorcycle, but one that worked, that I could use to have some freedom as a 16-year-old was exciting to me, right? And so uh, here's what I know about mechanicking over the years. I know a little more than I knew then, but not a lot. But I've discovered that when you're trying to diagnose something, the best, uh, the best philosophy with which to approach fixing things is that usually the simplest solution is the answer. Usually it's a simple problem. Not always. We got mechanics in our church. I know engines are complicated, but, but a lot of times you can fix things if you just look for the simple solution. And so as a church, there's a lot of complexity to the church. There's a lot of things that we could be doing and a lot of stuff that, that we get involved in and thinking about all of the different aspects of the church. But for me being a simple guy and, and really believing that by understanding simple principles, we can stay focused. I want us to focus in on the simple principles of the six cylinders of the engine that is the church as we go through this series. And each week for the next six weeks, we're gonna focus on them, on one of these cylinders. Today, I just wanna give an overview of where we're headed so you can start thinking about it and processing what it is that God has for us. And so the first cylinder in our engine is called worship. Um, Another word that I like that's a little bit of a descriptor of it is affection. Worship 
is the first cylinder that we're going to look at in the engine that is the church, that powers the church to accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish. I've got a statement of purpose that goes with each one of these cylinders. And the statement of purpose for worship or affection is this. And this is what we aim to do if we're healthy, unified, firing, and this cylinder is firing. This is how we're going to view it. We radically commit to gather and holding nothing back, we will focus our affection on the only one true worthy God. We radically commit to gather. You know, in the early church, uh, the, the, the meeting, the time that they met together was called the gathering. And so there's this uh, urgency in the scriptures to stay committed to that gathering. There is a purpose in coming together. Uh, we are encouraged, we're empowered. Being around other believers gives us energy and motivation. It provides some accountability. It also aligns us around what God is calling us to do. And so um, being a part of anything requires being connected to the other people that you're joining with to accomplish something. And so we must be committed to gather. The first piece in Hebrews chapter 10, book of Hebrews written to the church in Rome under persecution. They were literally could be arrested for gathering together, imprisoned, thrown to the lions. And so certainly because of that pressure, <clears throat> some were neglecting, they weren't going to the gathering. You know, in a free country, it's not persecution, the threat of imprisonment that keeps us from gathering. That's not the pressure we face. We, pay, we face the pressure of other things being more attractive than gathering together, of being lured away to focus on other stuff and to put other things as a priority, busyness, right? And all the things that we have to do. And so we've got to be careful about that. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 of Hebrews says it this way, starting at verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He's saying, listen, keep your hope firmly grounded in God. What he said he's, he's going to do, he's going to do. He will keep his promises. Encourage each other. Spur one another on. Right? It's that idea of riding a horse and sometimes a horse needs spurred on to get moving. And sometimes we need spurred on to get moving, to do love and good deeds, the things we're called to do by God. Because if we don't have that encouragement, that accountability of other believers, we'll pretty soon start to be pulled into the behaviors of the world we live in. And the people around us don't typically act with love and good deeds, right? And so we get pulled in that direction. We get influenced that way. And so that's why we need each other. We need to pull together. And what do we do when we gather? What are we focused on? Who are we focused on when we gather? Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Everything that you are needs to line up. Your affection needs to be aimed at God. When we gather together, we have the opportunity to come into the presence of God. And there should be within us a focus on him and an awe of who he is. We don't, it's not, a, it's not something that, um, that, that everyone in the world gets to do. It's not something we should take for granted. 
but coming together, we can focus on a lot of things. We can get distracted in a room with lots of different people and what's going on in their life and our life and all the different things that we could think about. But we need to focus in on God himself and our, our affection needs to be aimed at him. And so a commitment to gather and then a worship of the one true God. Eugene Peterson who wrote the message version of the Bible, he said, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. In other words, I'm not emotionally driven in my worship. It's not because of my emotion that I worship God. I worship God because my mind is being transformed to understand who God is. And so I'm worshiping him out of the truth of who he is and where I stand in relation to him. And so I worship God. My mind is transformed to understand who God is and where I stand in relation to him. And so I begin to worship him. My behavior changes. I come to church, right? I'm around other believers. I'm growing in my worship of God. And ultimately then, my feelings follow that. And I begin to develop feelings for God as I worship him. As I sing, right? Choruses and praise in church. My, I begin to develop feelings of affection for God. And so I've got to be careful about the role that feelings play in my worship and in my approach to God. Feelings are the caboose of your train of faith. The engine is not feelings. The engine is the truth of who God is. Worship, affection. Are you directing your affection at God? Cylinder number two is called discipleship also described by the word followers. Here's our statement of purpose. Answering the call of Jesus to leave all, we chase after him with reckless abandon. As a church, we don't need to be filled, we don't need to be a church filled with Christians, okay? We need to be a church filled with followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus leave everything behind and chase after him. Followers of Jesus take risks. Christians play it safe. Christians do what's politically correct. Christians do what won't offend anybody else. Followers of Jesus move out boldly, representing Jesus in the world we live in. We are not as concerned with what other people think of us as that we're representing Jesus well. Now, when we do that, people are compelled by the boldness of our faith to check out the claims of Jesus. It's actually a draw and an attractant Living in a lukewarm manner does not attract anybody. Living with radical faith and commitment draws people. Our world needs to see people who are sold out for something. There's plenty of people sold out to make the world a worse place, to see sin grow, to encourage and pull more people into it. Are we sold out, radically committed to doing what's right, to, to follow Jesus and to go after him? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, Jesus speaking. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, listen, there's a, uh, a self-denial involved in this. There's a movement of your life towards me. Martin Luther, uh, the, the initiator of the great reformation in the church said this, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. We don't need more churches filled with people that are just playing it safe and doing what's, what's okay and what's acceptable. We need a church and we need to be a church 
that is firing on this cylinder that are disciples and followers of Jesus. Not living according to our emotions, but following the truth and taking bold steps to represent Jesus well. We need this cylinder to be firing and to be, and to be working correctly. If we're not, if it's not, we won't accomplish the mission of God. Change is hard. Growing as a disciple requires change. And yet most of us don't want to change. We want to kind of stay where it's safe and where everything works the way it did yesterday, right? And it's going to be the same tomorrow. And yet following Jesus requires we engage change. Cylinder three is best understood, I think, with the word evangelism slash generosity. We are called to live a generous life when it comes to sharing the good news of the gospel. Here's our statement of purpose. Fueled by God's love, we go. Generously sharing the gospel with whomever God puts in our path. 2 Timothy 2.15, our key verse for Awana, which is on Wednesday nights. Get your kids in Awana. If you're not, it's an awesome time for them to grow and learn. But 2 Corinthians 2.15 is a key verse for this purpose or this cylinder. It says this, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Are you living your life representing Jesus? Are you living your life in a way that others can see him through you? And then when you have the opportunity, you can explain to them the truth of God's word, how we can become followers of Jesus. A couple years ago, I was uh, involved in trying to start a new church in the Denver metro area. And uh, when I moved to Denver, I enrolled in seminary, right? And I was going to school and God led us into a pretty large church, probably about 1,500 people that would attend on the weekend services. And, and so uh, eventually I got hired on as an associate pastor there after I finished school. And I got a chance to work there for three or four years to learn and to grow and to be mentored by the pastor. And ultimately we were sent out to start a new church. And as, a, as we were involved in this new church startup, uh, we got the opportunity to meet some new people. And one of those individuals that came into our church was actually a Nebraska native, a guy by the name of Al. Al was 65 years old, and he had moved to Colorado to uh, enter college right after high school. And, and he went through Arapaho Community College, a uh, college there in Littleton. He took the automotive program. He graduated, and ultimately he became a professor at Arapaho Community College teaching automotive mechanics. And so uh, I'm talking to Al, and he's talking about his, the cars that he goes in races at Bandemir Speedway, you know, on Friday nights when you could just, uh, anybody could show up. And man, he just loved cars. And he was so good at it. And what a sweet guy. Uh, and he's 65 years old. He'd never been married. And he shared with me how his mother had lived with him for years. And sadly, she had passed away a couple years prior. He actually found her at home, uh, right, as he had come home from work. And just the traumatic experience that was and the difficulty that he was having kind of adjusting to her loss and just how to keep going in life. And he was coming near the end of his career. And as we shared a Chick-fil-A sandwich, uh, you know, the Jesus McDonald's, right? Uh, G Jesus fast food. So he shared a Chick-fil-A sandwich and then we're talking about, and I'm discovering about his life and I realize that Al's never made a decision to trust Christ. Maybe he's been a part of a church at some point. He had some familiarity with Jesus and who he is, but he had never put his trust in Jesus. And so I got a chance to share with Al uh, from Romans, a uh, number of verses that describe and explain what the gospel is, right? That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That um, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And that as Romans 10, 9 said, if we, if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so Al, as I shared that with him and as I asked him, had he ever done that and then got a chance to share, he just declared that he believed who Jesus is, that he's a savior, that he had died for his sins and he put his trust in him. And I got to pray with Al to trust Christ and to become a follower of Jesus. Listen, we're called to do this. You need to be living your life in a way that if you have the opportunity to sit across from an Al in your life, you can share Christ with him. Are you willing and able to share the gospel with a coworker, with a neighbor, with an old friend, with a boss, with a parent, with a sibling? All I know is to be a church that's healthy and unified, all of our cylinders firing to accomplish the mission of God, we need to be growing in our ability to share the gospel and to lead others into a relationship with Jesus. Cylinder four in our engine uh, that powers the church is best understood by a word called fellowship. I also like to use the word together. Here's our statement of purpose for this, eng- for this cylinder. Aware that we need each other, we put our differences aside, bonding together in the spirit, fostering a unity of love, or fostering unity and love with all our hearts. In Acts chapter two, we see the beginnings of the church and this is what's said as a descriptor of that early church in Jerusalem following the day of Pentecost. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. The early church grew because there were a diverse group of people. Many of those in the early church didn't get along. They didn't even like each other. They wouldn't talk to each other if they ran into each other in the community. They were in opposition. Jews and Gentiles, right? Slaves and and free men. There there was opposition, yet they came together because the Holy Spirit dwelt within them. And they bonded together and they had to work at it. (laughs) If you read the, the letters to the churches in the New Testament, they had their difficulties with accomplishing this, with being unified, with fostering love. It was hard. And yet they were encouraged and urged to do it so that the church could be effective at accomplishing the mission. You and I have that same responsibility and opportunity in our church to bond together, to set aside our differences and say, we're gonna work together, not just to get along, not just to experience community, right? Though that's important and powerful, but we're gonna get along, we're gonna connect, we're gonna work together because we have a mission to accomplish. The fifth cylinder in the engine that powers the church might best be described by the word service. A companion word that helps to describe it is sacrifice. Service and sacrifice. Here's our statement of purpose that goes with this cylinder. With the servant savior as our example, we will race each other to see who can sacrificially care for others the most. Jesus reflected this attitude of sacrifice He didn't come to be served, but to serve. God in the flesh, when he came to earth, he didn't walk around needing to be worshiped, needing people to pay attention to him, needing people to do things for him, wait on him. That's what earthly kings do. Jesus came to put a towel around his waist and to wash the feet of his disciples. In John chapter 13, we see this incredible example of the king of kings, the creator of the universe. And look what he does with his disciples. 
Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. In other words, he had all authority. He's over everything in the universe. There is no one above Jesus. And look what he does with that power. Look what he does with that power. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. (laughs) Never seen anything like it. The earth had never seen anything like it. Not a human being had ever seen anything like it. A king of kings, the greatest king, the ruler of the world, the creator of the world, all power and authority. And what does he do with it? He serves. He does a menial servant's task in washing his disciples' feet. Sometimes, though, we get the service thing a little mixed up. We get a little mixed up and we think about it the wrong way. A little boy, Alex, was at church one morning. He was out in the lobby and he had found a placard that was up on the wall in the church lobby. And it had some, uh, it had some metal plates with names uh, engraved in them and little American flags next to those names. And he was just contemplating the, the, the plaque. And the pastor came up and said, Alex, how you doing this morning? Good to see you. Alex said, I'm doing great. Pastor, what's this plaque? I couldn't quite understand it. Uh, being a seven-year-old, he couldn't quite grasp what it was. And the pastor said, well, this represents uh, the men and women who died in the service. And uh, Alex and the pastor just kind of, with some contemplation, just looked at the plaque for a few minutes. And then Alex said, uh, which service did they die in, the 8 o'clock or the 11? <laughs> All right. We can get service mixed up. Uh, we can think uh, of it kind of glibly and lightly. And yet the truth is that Jesus, our Savior, sacrificed himself for us. And sometimes we think that to get involved in serving in the church is going to kill us. The truth is it won't. <laughs> but even if it does, it's just following the example of our Savior. And so we stay uh, with, a, with a, a strong commitment to work at what God has created us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God created us to serve and to contribute and to do his work in the world. You and I can step up to that. And as a church, we need to be filled with people who are contributing, who are learning what our gifts, what our spiritual gift is and how did God wire me? How did he design me? You know, we have the shape class here and we're going through it and this morning we were reminded that God created you. He created you for ministry. So often we put our identity in other things. We think who we are and we try to discover who we are and what can we contribute to the world? Where can we succeed? Whether it's athletics, whether it's in business, what is it? Where am I gonna be good? The truth is we should be working to discover who it is that God made us to be, how he designed us, how he's gifted us so that we can contribute to the church's work, which is the work of God, which will last forever. Cylinder six in our engine that powers the church is best understood by the words mission or impact. Here's our statement of purpose. Desiring to advance God's impact in our community, we will strategically invest for future kingdom improvement. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, famously, Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples. And he tells them to go in the world and make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? 
and to teach them to obey everything he's commanded. And Jesus says, you've got to go into the world and this movement needs to spread. It needs to make it to every tribe and every nation and every people. And so we have that same responsibility to take the gospel. And if you look at missions, the history of missions around the world, when the gospel goes into community, it elevates the community. The standard of living goes up. The family is strengthened. And, uh, and the experience of women and children is, is grown and enhanced. And men grow in their uh, ability to serve in their leadership role and not just control with their power. All these things take place and the community is transformed. And I like to think, I like to think and dream a little bit about what could happen in this community if we were to invest for the future, if in the next 10 or 15, 20 years, if we were to invest now, could we see, could we see the effects of addiction dramatically reduced in this community? Could we see marriages strengthened? Could we see kids not growing up and following the way of the world, but following Jesus and avoiding the pitfalls of sin? Could we see that? What could, what could we see if we really got, got uh, intentional about investing? I just found out today about an opportunity to invest in this community to see uh, some things transformed. Here's what I was reminded of recently by a, a Christian leader, Craig Rochelle. He said, listen, chaos, times of chaos, times of uh, uncertainty are actually times where the greatest opportunities can arrive. He said, position yourself as a church, as a leader, that you're ready for those opportunities when they come about. And I, my prayer is that as a church, we're thinking and dreaming and looking for those opportunities where we can invest. I believe right in the middle of that, right the center of all that is an investment in the next generation and ensuring that the next generation gets an opportunity to trust in Jesus. I got a chance to lead, uh, give a talk at Awana, uh, kickoff night, and I led those kids uh, in uh, in taught them the gospel, right, and shared it with them. And it's amazing to me how kids just believe the gospel. They get it, right? They know they're sinners and they, they know they need saving and forgiveness. It's not a hard thing for them to figure out. And so they want to put their trust in Jesus. They want to be forgiven. And as I led in prayer, I just said, hey, pray out loud if you want. I think the whole room was praying. It's just so exciting to be around uh, exposing kids to that opportunity to be forgiven and set free. And that's what we need to be doing as a church, investing in the future, seeing opportunities and going, hey, listen, we have enjoyed and experienced the forgiveness of God. We want to make sure our community is changed by the gospel. God, thanks for your goodness to us and the way in which you call us to be a part of your church, your gift to the world. God, we know it's a privilege. So often we, um, we think about it the wrong way, and yet it's a privilege to be a part of, and God, we have a great responsibility and yet all of us are inadequate, perhaps me the most inadequate, to be a part of your work. And yet, God, you call us to follow you. You don't ask us to have all the answers and figure thing, everything out. You just ask us to keep our eyes on you and to follow you. And in doing so, you can do miracles through us. And so, God, I pray you'd help us as a church, help me to align myself more with what it is you're calling me to do the work that you want to do on this earth. And God, use us as a church to continue to reach the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.